Welcome to the ODD Collective Radio Show, and where the agendas are only to tell our stories our way. Where an eclectic group of hosts deliver a different show every Sunday. The show is produced by Ever Beyond Radio and broadcasted over Wolf Spirit Radio Network. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our worlds. And welcome to Sunday, the last day of July, 731, 2016. My name's Nancy Hopkins. The show is uh, the ODD Collective Radio Show, but this particular segment is called Reality Insight. Um, it only comes on the fifth of Sunday because we have the other four covered by uh, different people. And I have on my, as a guest, co-host, Debrielle, who is my co-host on Saturday, um, when we do Say What, on the first uh, Saturday. And JP is producing. You're listening to Wolf Spirit Media, uh, radio media, but you might um, also be on Ever Beyond because JP is producing from Ever Beyond and then simulcast through Wolf Spirit. That's how it's done. Uh, Deb, how you doing today, girl? Good. How are you doing, Nancy? Well, um, I've been in the inner earth for the last couple of days, so I'm not sure. I, I think I have been, too. That's very funny. Well, no, I haven't been on the inner... Well, I, I don't uh, consciously, but uh, a friend of mine uh, this morning reported a dream that he was looking for the entrance to Agatha to go into the inner earth. So there's a, there's definitely a meme going on, Nancy. You're you're riding the meme. All right, I'll shut up now. Well, no, I want you to uh, interject if you hear anything new, because um, what happened was that Deb and I on the Say What show, we got to talking about Bigfoot. And... It, it seems like Bigfoot could be using the inner earth. They could be, you know, they, they, we just were kind of mind-bended. And so <laughs> we decided that we should talk about the inner earth at some point, except that neither one of us knew very much, or I thought I didn't at the time. And then, uh, so we've been kind of like, yeah, let's do the inner earth. And finally this fifth Sunday came up, and I said, maybe we can do it today. So, um okay. Yeah. So we got basically uh, two people and JP um, who don't didn't really know very much about it. But you know what made me laugh, Deb, when I was thinking about it? If you go back, because we've been around for a long time, if you go back, you know, my God, up until probably 2010, I didn't know anything about any reptilians. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, what, reptilians? You know, I mean, I'd scoff at that, right? And now if you don't know about the reptilians, well, you're still asleep, you know, and it's it's subject after subject. Bigfoot, well, I was kind of into Bigfoot because my brother had seen him as a kid, and, and so I kind of, like, didn't think he was lying when he told the story. So, you know, but all of a sudden that started trending, and um, then we get into, you know, this concept of the inner earth, and I'm going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I ever heard about the hollow earth concept was when I was studying the Nazis. And oh. they had, yeah, they had sent some expedition or doing something trying to prove the concept of the inner earth. But, you know, at that time, I, I mean, this was probably 30 years ago. 
And at that time, I went, oh, boy, I didn't know that they were that crazy. <laughs> you know, it was like, that can't possibly be. But when you, um, well, let me put it to you this way. Between a flat earth and a hollow earth, I'm going with a hollow earth concept. <laughs> yeah. Because, because the flat earth doesn't make any sense. But in an odd way, uh, the concept of a hollow earth really kind of works for me. Um, yeah. What did you, I mean, what's your first feelings about it? Your first, you obviously had a, we, we, something was drawing you to it. Um, well, you know, there must have been some resonating with the concept of this group, civilization living inside the earth. Yeah. Well, first, before I start on that for a minute, I just wanted to backtrack. I, I know I had told you in private message, but I just want to clarify something that I never did on that Say What show, um, just because I'm so Virgo-like. <laughs> so I just wanted to do bookkeeping or tie up loose ends. We were discussing the article from Joan Ocean about the Bigfoot, and that's how kind of we went to the hollow earth, but I had mentioned on that show, and I was really out of body or whatever was going on with me on that show and my brain wasn't really connecting. And remember I had mentioned that I had a friend that had written a book, astrology book, The Universe is in Your Body, and that she had trained with Joan Ocean over in Hawaii uh, to communicate with dolphins and do dolphin healings on people. I just wanted to say, in case anybody ever listens you know, to all these shows to tie it up, her name was Marlise Frankie. And her book was The Universe in Our Body. So there's my uh, back homework done that I had said I would do on that show. And I have tried to contact her. I have not been able to get her yet. And, and then on with the inner earth. Wow, I never knew anything other than what I read about those little report. Well, not so little about that guy that went to the North Pole or whatever and found the entrance and then came back and all kinds of things, and I didn't really understand it. And my first connection with it was I had a transpersonal release session with James Gilliland, and it was over the phone, and, you know, he's up at East Eddy Ranch in Washington that looks for the UFOs and things. And it was fascinating because, you know, I lived in Sedona. I've been told I'm from everywhere, and I usually don't pay that much attention to it. But he was the first one that ever said that I had had a, a lifetime. Well, he said I'd had several, and I'd been everywhere, so that's why. But um, from, what did he say, like fifth dimensional inner earth. And then he told me that that was pretty rare, that those beings usually didn't make an appearance on earth, that he'd only met two others so far. And that was in 2012 to that point that he felt had a connection to inner earth and that they're usually here to help and they're really brave because I guess it's much nicer in inner earth. I don't know. <laughs> and so that was my first time I ever heard of that and never thought I would be. And then I realized over time, oh, yeah, you know, we always talk about aliens and ETs and you always think other planets are out but there could be them right from inside the earth and then of course we all are and 
anyway, so there's my little piece of it, and I don't really know a lot more. I mean, I looked up on the internet and found, you know, a few things, but not. I I think you guys will probably know more than I do, maybe. Or the well, the, well, that guy that guy that you you couldn't remember his name was Admiral Byrd. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Now, when I started to do the research, of course, you start finding repeats in the same information. Okay. But every time they would talk about the hollow earth, they talk about Haley of Haley's planet. We thought it was hollow. And uh, they'd list other, you know, known names that, that had the concept that it has to be a hollow earth. Well, the main reason that, that I think they, 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 they say a few things. Okay. First off, if you get towards the, 75th uh, parallel the okay. compasses start acting really weird and mm. what what supposedly is happening is that you're when you're going north you get to a point where the earth sort of flattens out a little bit and okay. so your compasses are still kind of okay but then you start going down you start actually going inside the earth so the compasses all of a sudden are saying that that north is above you and uh, you know instead of in front of you and it because it's remember we're talking big you're not exactly seeing this happen around you because you're so small in regards to what's big right. um but they but the compasses anytime anybody got too far north the compasses would start acting weird and the other thing was was that the water began to get warmer about 600 miles from what would be the North Pole. The water would get warmer. So it was warmer farther north than, than the south. And this this was observed by many, many ocean-going peoples. Um, so you had some, you know, physical in- anomalies that the only way anybody could kind of figure it out was to say, well, the Earth is, is round. Now, what do we mean by, by what are we talking about by this round concept? Um, if you've got a sphere, okay, and you hollow out the middle of the sphere and everything is rotating, you really got a donut kind of concept, okay? I won't get bothered to get into the science of it. So what you got is that as you go to the top towards the north, you start going in into the earth, but it's the same topography. It's just that now you're inside the Earth, and the best estimate is that that's 800 miles under the surface. So the top surface, the outside surface, to get into the inner surface, you're really 800 miles uh, separation between those two points. But it's like, you know, you're just following the contour, and so now you're you're going south, but you're going down. And you're not really realizing it because you're so small in this big place. The one thing that I came across that I found absolutely resonating is true is a story by the by this guy who was um oh gee, what's his name now? Uh yeah, it was the book is called The Smoky God and or Voyage to the Inner World. Uh, it was written in 1908 and, uh, Willis Emerson wrote it, but it's about this guy by the name of Ulf Jansen. And he was dying and he, he had met, uh, Emerson and, and he calls Emerson to his, his bedside and says, I need to tell you this story. 
And he and his father, now remember, this is at 1908 that he's like 90 years old or something at that time. So it was, you know, a long time before this. He was a young man, not a teenager, but a young man. And he and his father decided to go, they, they lived in Norway, I believe, and they decided to go north in the concept of fishing. And they started to, and, and listening to his report, it, you know, I'm going like, well, yeah, it sounds like he did exactly that because he noticed the water was warmer. They ran out of uh, fresh water and all of a sudden the water was fresh because that's the other thing. You got fresh water up there. Even the icebergs are fresh instead of salty. So he's, he's like, why is this happening? And they went over the lip and down, you know, now they're <laughs> going in the inside of it and they meet these giants. And they lived there for over a year inside the uh, inner earth with the inner earth civilization. And it's really a fascinating story about, but it's all, you know, sounds like fantasy, except for the fact that the guy seems to resonate with the story with me, you know. And what happened was that they finally left it about a year into it. And um, on the way back, there was a, a big wave that flipped over the boat and the father was killed, but the son got virtually taken by the wave out of the boat right onto an iceberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and no sooner was he on the iceberg than he sees a boat that was just sailing in the area who see him and pick him up. Now, what's mm-hmm. what's the odds of that? You know, um, mm-hmm. huh? it was such it was such a ludicrous ending to the story that I kind of had to think. I think this guy's telling me the truth. Who would who would tell that story? You know. Um, so so that was my first feeling. Like you know, maybe maybe there is something here. And there's another guy who, um, oh, this this guy. Now, again, p- finding this information, it was like Bird, okay? Now, Bird is being is always being the one that they point to that said, oh, yeah, he had this secret uh, diary and he went into the, to the North Pole. Yeah. Now, that's where I started getting really kind of like confused because they kept telling about a North Pole trip that Bird made in 1947. But I'm going like, damn it, don't they know the difference between the North Pole and the South Pole? Because he went to the South Pole with um, the armada of Navy ships in high jump. But no, supposedly this was a secret trip that he made in a plane going to the North Pole, and <clears throat> they flew into the hole and then somehow landed and, and were communicated with and it's a it's a whole story you can read about it but this one researcher he had been a a real student of bird and he said this is not bird this doesn't even sound like bird and he tied the account to a guy who who was a son of international bankers and so this this researcher felt that it was actually uh, a, a, a a disinformation operation and it, it was like he just didn't believe that this was true. But that's what everybody points to concerning, oh, Admiral Byrd. And, you know, but that probably is bogus. So you throw that out, you still got an awful lot of information indicating that it really happened. Because in the high jump thing, there's reports that Byrd took off from the aircraft carrier and was gone like, you know, like a day too long and he would have run out of fuel. Um, 
and then he flies back and 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 no, there's no explanation of how he was gone for so long and then survived and you know this is the antarctic we're talking about you know on the continent um one thing that that people might miss too is that the arctic there is no landmass in the arctic you know it's not like antarctica where you have a landmass a continent you know in the arctic it's like sea there's only water up there uh, or a big hole if, you're lucky enough to fall. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, again, supposedly the things that, that Admiral Byrd has been known, I mean, absolutely to say, indicates that he knew something was up there. The fact that this armada, this Navy, U.S. Navy armada got turned back within, you know, virtually a few days after they got there and that from Russian sources, there's, you know, it came that they would have been attacked by flying saucers. Um, and that, that's why they turn tail and run. But <clears throat> again, we're talking inner earth and that, all the ramifications of that. So they, when I looked at everything, okay, <clears throat> I went to, uh, there's this, this, this Colonel Billy Fay Woodward. He's supposedly United States Air Force and uh, from 71 to 82. Now he's interesting in that he was, he was adopted. And that he has an unknown blood type, and he's never had any kind of disease. <clears throat> he says his his blood has been medically examined and destroys all viral infection when combined with other blood samples in a lab setting. So his father was a military guy who gets Billy to come to the Pentagon, stationed in the Pentagon. And quickly after that, the guy that started out as a second lieutenant, ends up as a light colonel and is sent to Area 51. And his account is that he worked with the civilization of very tall, 13 to 14 feet tall people who were uh, operating a shuttle system that was an underground system. Now, we've heard about these underground systems, but we were led to believe that they were being created by uh, human beings with these phenomenal drilling things that, I don't know if they use plasma or what they do, but when they go through, uh, you know, the rock, the rock becomes like really, really slick. Like, you know, it's almost melted as it goes through. Nuclear. So it's probably nuclear of some kind. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what is causing it. Well, it's probably nuclear. Um, but... So we've known that this this was all there, but his uh, introduction of the civilization, the people down there, was something that was was new to me. Uh, he said that the people are one with nature, that the mm-hmm. atmosphere stays clean and is 73 degrees. They speak with the animals and to the animals. Everything is free. Uh, the, the, he seemed to think that the the magic came because they were allowed to enter a space of their own imagination, and there they could create. Uh, there's no disease; it's not allowed. You know this type of thing. Uh, but that was oh, all I'm because, huh? <laughs> I relate to that. I'm from Inner Earth, then. <laughs> I like yeah, that. yeah. You know. Uh, but this was all because oh. he was at Area 51. You know, so. Um, okay. Again, it was one of those, I kind of thought the guy was telling me the truth, but I couldn't find anything more about the guy. 
Um, so what, what finally came through was messages from the hollow earth by Diane Robbins. That's Diane, D-I-A-N-N-E, Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S. And apparently, I went over to her website, and apparently she's telepathically, I I found it late in the the process, uh, but she's somehow or another getting communication from the uh, civilization, the inner civilization. But I want to... um, to go through what she said here kind of quickly, I'm not going to read exactly what she said, because I, what other people were saying that seemed to be yeah. true to me, she seemed to have a more of a nutshell look at it. Uh, and she starts out and she said, planets are formed by hot gases thrown from a sun into an orbit. And the shell of planets is created by gravity and centrifugal forces and the poles remain open and lead to hollow interiors. Um, that, again, it seemed to me to be like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, if you got a spinning plasma, and, you know, yeah, that made scientific sense in my head. Um, so they, now there's a weird thing in that, okay, when you when you get inside the hollow earth, they, they and you've heard of Shambhala? Shambhala? Yeah. yeah. Shambhala. And... The, this city is supposedly the governing city for all the civilizations there. Or a, the main, the Agartha civilization. Um, and they say, and she's saying that the northern and southern lights that we see as auras, you know, the, uh, Oriala, Bor, Boris, Aurora, Aurora, Orialis. Orialis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are actually reflections from the sun that's inside of this hollow earth. Really? Um, yeah, and, and they, they continually talked about some inner sun, but nobody was telling me what it was. Well, how you got an inner sun in there? You know, <laughs> what's that about? But she said that, um, or maybe there's a different information if you get into the details, but she says, um, that they use free energy to light up their cities, homes, and tunnels. They use crystals coupled with electromagnetism, which generates a small sun with full-spectrum la- lighting that lasts for half a million years and gives them all the power they need. So I'm assuming that somehow or another this um, sun is really a crystal that is um, uh, activated by electromagnetism, and that harkens back to Atlantis. That seems to be something that they very well understood. Um, okay, so she's, she also says that the, 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 the gravity on the surface of the planet actually measures more than on the inside of the planet. Uh, and that it's the inner sun that's the mysterious power behind the Earth's magnetic field. So I suppose, you know, if you, if, if you got some really in, intuitive scientist or somebody that really wanted to get into, they'd figure this out about gravity based on this inner hollowness of the earth. And, and she she says, as many of them do, that every celestial body is actually, you know, hollow. This has this dual donut type of thing to it. Um, you want a question? That kind of sounds like that Taurus field, or you know that thing you were playing with the other day, JP, that the field of our heart and the that metal thing that you were expanding. 
expanding and expanding and it has the space in the middle. It, uh-oh. We lost JP, or I did. No, he might not oh, be Oh, there here. it is. He, he, he put it up. Yeah, what's that again, JP? Does that have anything to do with it, maybe? This is uh, the toroidal form. It's, it's made of stainless steel uh, ribbon. And it's very strong and yep. very flexible, but it's essentially one, it's like a multiple Mobius strip. And it, it demonstrates the, the action of, uh, of all Tauruses, which is this, uh, fantastic, um, twisting, uh, motion that if I can get it right, you can see that it forms the, <laughs> the classic, there we go. It forms the classic, uh, uh, form in the center of the, oh, yeah. of the tornado. You see that? Okay. Yeah. Could that be going? This is what's Earth, going through the Earth. This is what's this, the Earth okay. has one of these outs around it, and that's what we call the magnetosphere. Um, and you know, so this is your toroidal form, and that also feeds into this other form, which is the um, what's known as the uh, uh, vector equilibrium or cube octahedron. That's the one. Wow! And, and that's that's the Genesis by any other name. Yeah, well, it's it's the thing that you've got on your front page, Nancy. Yes, this is Genesis. This, this and this together is what you've got on your front page. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And if you go, anyone goes to cosmicreality.net, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You'll see a, a, a geometric form, which is made of triangles and squares. That's called a vector equilibrium. Um, and it's, uh, it's merged with a toroidal form. So that shows you the structure of the planet. Before you add all the uh, all the rest of the greens and uh, and uh, trees and stuff, but wow. but yeah, um, and that, that the that's that's just I, I wish we could show everybody that because that's exactly what it's all about, you know. I'll put the link into the into geometry. The, into energy follows geometry, and we're in an energy universe. So, you know, and once you see it, it it becomes very clear to you that that makes more sense than a solid ball. You know, that goes on and it's got some crystal in the middle of it. So from a just theory, it makes more sense that, yeah, the, the Earth is, is got to be hollow to make any real mathematical thing. sense. Here's another thing, Nancy. So one of the things that, that you always hear about these tall people, you know, that are in the inner Earth, and mm -hmm. what, was, what they were saying was that um, because this gravity is actually less in the inner Earth, that's why you get taller people. And that's why the trees are, are much larger. Everything, the animals are larger. Uh, wow. Because you just don't have the same relationship of yeah. Um, yeah. the I, I, want to, I want to add something there uh, as well. Is that um, the actual, uh, the gravitation, what we're taught about gravity, and I've been talking about this a, a couple of times last week, that uh, gravity is not what we think it is. Um, although reality is what we think it is, gravity is not what we think it is. It is not a sucking force. It's a pressing force. And that's why when you're on the outside of the sphere, that pressure right. is pushing you down, right? But on the inside, there's no pressure. It's only, the, the pressure is only coming from that electrogravitic generator, which is creating the gravity, which is also love, by the way, uh, is creating the gravity that extends from the inside of the planet outwards. Wow. Well, wait, if it's also love, then in the inner planet, what, how does that work with relation to love? And if they're fifth dimensional or higher, I, what would be the relationship there between gravity, love, the inner earth and outer earth? 
Well, according to um, that woman I just told you about, <laughs> she's yeah. saying she's saying that um, they have such a, a an absolute respect for nature that they actually don't have roads and paths or or touch walk on oh. a land. That they use hovercrafts that go above the land if they've got to go any distance. Although they will walk along a stream or in certain areas where it's sort of accepted that you can connect with nature like that. But they feel that nature is herself and that they have no right to actually interface that way. Oh, I just got it, too. They have the higher, uh, higher soul love, too. Like if it's fifth dimension, if it's already a more expanded energy field than we have here on the planet, that's where supposedly we're trying to shift to, then I wonder what's going to happen inside the earth. Or is it all going to become one? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> well, in actuality, it was um, Corey Good that started talking about the inner earth people. Uh-huh. And he's, he's the guy that, you know, claims to have been part of the secret space program, and now he's... He's, uh, uh, you know, telling what he remembers because it was raced and now he's got his memory back. But he has become a, um, uh, I, I, I don't know what you call him, like a member of or a representative of humanity to different organizations, particularly the Blue Avians. Right. And so he met with the Inner Earth people. And the, oh, I what, he, what he said was that, um, that they had for most of their existence, kept themselves quiet, didn't show themselves, or if they did show themselves, they would pretend to be ETs or pretend to be gods in order to help out the upper... That's rest. what James so, Gilliland said. He said there's not many here, or they don't let themselves be known a lot, or at least that was back then, in 2012. So, okay, well, keep going. Yeah, according to Good... Um, yeah. There's been an agreement by the inner earth that they will be part of the great disclosure with the ETs and the inner earth civilizations. Wow. So, um, you know, that's, that's, if, if good is correct, then that's part of the disclosure is that, I mean, not only are they going to complicate life for some people about the ETs because <laughs> they don't believe them, at least we believe in the ETs, but you're going to tell them that there's civilizations living inside the earth? <laughs> Talk about right. a possible meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got something. Okay. This, this is, uh, hang on, I'll just turn off my camera. So we go. All right, so, um, you know, I've been banging on about my guides and the, the I gave them a website. Yeah. So, uh, in 2010, I got a message from them and I'd like to read this only a couple of paragraphs. Okay. Go for it. All right. Yeah. So I asked them the question, is there an inner earth? And okay. this is their response. Yes, indeed. And you will be among the first wave to enter. You will oh. be greeted by members of your home race who you will have missed. There will be oh. much celebration. You will represent your people in a small but significant way. You will be transformed somewhat then, and your reappearance in society will be literally remarkable. My people will remark. And no one will know how you're able to do what you do, but you will be able to say it's normal, and you will represent the future in a way that you cannot imagine right now in 2010. But you can see the difference between what you know now right now and what the average person in the street knows this is the gap this is the gap that will create the vacuum that will haul you into its torrent you will be among the few who have been prepared to explain to people who you will know 
The time is not yet, but there is a smaller and smaller time. You will have to wait until it will be upon you sooner you, and, and it will be upon you sooner than you think. In the meantime, just do what do, make your garden, tidy up, have fun, make love, make joy, <laughs> make music. <laughs> so wow. that's, that's uh, more than six years ago now. That's cool. That's well, I, I, I hate to one-up you, but in a past <laughs> lifetime, I apparently was brought there, brought into the inner earth. Now, this is one of the, this gets into such a strange story, and you're going to love it because it's got so much synchronicity in it. Now, first off, we start out with Joan Ocean and yeah. Bigfoot, and she introduces us to the inner earth, and so we decide we're going to do an inner earth thing. So I'm researching inner earth, and it was the second time I went back and, and put in a different search term, and who comes up but Joan Ocean. So I go on over to her website, and you know, the link, and it, she wasn't saying anything that I found very interesting because I had already seen the same kind of synopsis of what the inner earth people are. So I continue to read, and she says, there's openings in the earth, and she starts to name them. And she says, one of them is in um, Arizona, south of Tucson. And all of a sudden, I'm going like, oh, my God, where's this? Where's this? And I put in a, a search with the term she used, and I come up with this book. It is one, this chapter 7 of a book. Now, <laughs> 30 years ago, I read a book. It was a green cover. That's the only thing, a hard cover, green cover. That's the only thing I remember of the book. But in the book... There was, this guy was telling about being taken to an area in Arizona and that, well, what he, what the story, his story is, is that he was, well, first off, let me, let me get back up here a little bit because what, what it turned out to be was that the un, this book that I could not remember, but never ever forgot the passage I'm about to talk about because of what it did to my head when I read it. But I never could remember which the book, and I'm sure the book is here somewhere, because now I have the name of it. It's Unveiled Mysteries by Godfrey Ray King. Now, Godfrey Ray King is actually Guy Bollard, who started the I Am uh, movement that I know virtually nothing of, ah. because I just, I think probably I read that book up until this point. I, this is what they needed me to know. They needed me to read this story of his so that it would my guides call it an impact point and what it is is something that happens to you that all of a sudden is like a key that unlocks a memory and when it happens your memory just floods into your to your mind so that it's like whoa what just happened <laughs> you know and you've got a complete memory that you never encountered before um, and this particular book, this particular chapter seven, this particular story was an impact point that made me recall an experience in a past lifetime. All right. Now, what his story is, is that his wife had died, his son had died. He was very despondent and he gets contacted and they he gets a message and it says, you know, go to this particular place and um, everything's going to be made clear to you. Now, the reason that he decided to do it was 
just before that, he had had a vision of his wife. And she came to him and said, there's going to be a message for you, and you need to follow the message. So he follows the message. He goes to Tucson, Arizona, and he goes to... Now, the only thing that he states is to the mountains that are southeast of Tucson. Um, I did a Google search this time to find out if I was absolutely correct because when he was talking, I was very familiar with, with this area because I was stationed at Fort Huachuca when I was in the Army as a, uh, an intelligence officer. It was the intelligence school for the Army. So I was stationed there and spent um, some real quality time. I love it. We drove all around the area, so I was familiar with it. And when I read this passage 30 years ago, I said, Oh, crap, that sounds like the Huachuca Mountains. <laughs> now, as soon as I thought of the Huachuca Mountains, I was, like, really kind of paying attention to what the story was. And he, he, and he also says, and again, now I've got the Internet and Google, he said that it was, <laughs> um, if he could have gone the way the crow flies, it would have been a two-day uh, horseback trip, because he's on horseback. And... Because he, he, this is this is all in 1934. This is before 1934. So we're talking way back, right? So, um, when, and and a two-day uh, horseback ride from Tucson would put you in the Huachuca Mountains. So I'm reading on, and he's he meets this guy, and uh, he, he's going, he's following the directions, but he he would have missed. He said, I would have missed the. Canyon, he said canyon. I would think of it more as a ravine. It was much narrower. He would have missed it had he not been, uh, somebody met him right there. And this guy says to him, I'm going to guide you the rest of the way. And they go up the ravine and he's talking about seeing the guy's hand on the side, you know, just a cliff, pure cliff. Puts his hand on it and when he does this, apparent door appeared that kind of like went in like he put his hand on it and the rock just went in and then slid out of the way and he follows the guy inside this tunnel and they walk for about an hour and then there's another door the guy puts his hand on the door and it opens up into an unbelievable new place where his daughter (laughs) his wife is there and his son is there and you know but I never got much past the fact that he was there, you know, because what happened was when he said, when he described the hand on the rock and then there being a door, all of a sudden I'm thrown back in time and it's 1876. I'm a male by the name of Luke Short. The guy was a real scumbag. He, he was with, he was with the, with the Earps. He was the leader of the Earps. Um, love to have gunfights, you know, I just, I, I write about him in my book, Cosmic Reality. You know, he, he was not a particularly nice guy. So, but all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, I'm actually in Luke's body watching this guy put his hand on the, on the cliff. And all of a sudden there's a door, there's an opening. Now, he did not see any door. I don't think that he could, his mind could have understood this kind of a door. So it like, it doesn't fit his, his database and so he only sees the opening happen. He doesn't know how it happened. Um, because again, uh, Godfrey was very explicit in seeing a, a you know, a 
stone door that goes back and then slides out of the way. So, what, but the problem, the, the, the complication here is it wasn't just Luke. All right. There was somebody else with Luke. It was a, the guy who put the hand on the rock was a Native American, or at least he told us he was a Native American. With him is his love, uh, who happened to be a prostitute who, <laughs> um, lived in, they both lived in, uh, in, uh, uh, t- Tombstone. Okay. Which is about a day's journey on horseback to the Huachuca Mountains. So, I'm realizing that um, this woman whose name was at, 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 at that time was um, Ellie. And Sa- Sandy lives next door to me. We, I moved in. I meet Sandy. She, she and I start to get into minerals, and it was metaphysics. And, you know, we realized, I mean, we realized this past life that we had had in, in, in Tombstone, uh, down to details. I mean, at one point there was a TV program. They were doing something about the, the bird cage and tombstone and they showed pictures and Sandy, I told Sandy, Sandy, they got a thing on tombstone, you know, and so she calls it back. She said, did you see my picture on the wall? Oh my God. <laughs> and I said, yes, actually I did. She said, wasn't I beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was back in 30 years ago when we were into this, I said to Sandy, I went to her and I said, I got you, you got to read this thing, you know. So I give her the, the book. I open it up to where I want her, chapter seven, where I want her to read. And she reads it and she went, oh, my God, just like she had been hit with a memory, you know. And she went, oh, my God. And I said, you remember the hand? on?" She said, the hand, yes. And then there was an opening. And what we remembered, what had both come back to us, is that once the door was open, we followed this Indian into this tunnel. Now, all I remember from Luke's standpoint is walking through this tunnel that seemed to have light. It it was luminescent. Okay. And Sandy, uh, there was diamonds and emeralds and rubies just laying throughout this tunnel. And she kept picking these things up and putting them in her, her dress. You know, she had a skirt on thing until she, she was, she couldn't hold it all. I mean, it, it was ludicrous. And she remembers, she started laughing and she said, I, I wonder what happened to all those gems I had. And I said, I don't know. No. And finally we get to the end of the tunnel. And again, they may have opened up the door because he said at the end of the tunnel, there was a second door. Um, from Luke's standpoint, it just suddenly in the distance, you saw light and we just kept walking towards the light. And both of us can remember this opening and seeing a world that was like nothing we had ever seen before. And that's where we can't remember anymore. Nothing. We can remember so That's probably when they knock you on the back of the head. (laughs) Probably. But there was, you know, no, no seeing what was really there behind it, you know? So what, what I find so fascinating is that of all the books in all the world, I, I would end up with this one chapter of that one particular segment again, only I'm on the search for the inner earth this time. And now I know, oh my God, I, cause I mean, I really kind of walked, well, when I remembered it, I kind of thought of it as some kind of an ET inner, you know, inner earth thing. I didn't think of it as a civilization living there. A different mm-hmm. civilization. 
And I'm like talking to my guides ever since this happened. I'm going like, I want to remember. I really, what did, what was in Luke? What did Luke see? And what I got back was, well, Luke didn't really see anything because his mind wouldn't even handle it. Yeah. You know, and that there was uh, essentially a walk in that experienced that particular episode. That's why both she and I can, can, can't remember any of it because those two, it was more than those two minds could handle, but they needed the experience of it for us in this body. But I said, well, then maybe I went there. Maybe the future self of me went there and did a walk in. And it was like, no. And I'm oh, going, hang on a second, Nancy. Yeah. If, if you now say today, go back, uh, or do a meditation and go back there into that place, that's who it would be. You see? You would be self-creating that future self moving into that past life to you would you, you tomorrow or today would be the walk in that walked into that yeah. body then, if you see what I mean. I know well, it's I'm paradoxical. Also, no, I'm also a, a, a talented remote viewer. I should just be able to go back there and see. But there's so much of me tied up in Luke and that episode that whenever I tried to get there, uh, I just can't seem to stay focused. It's Luke has got some like, karma, that's why. That's what I'm picking up. <laughs> Luke, Luke has got I'm some karma that needs fun. to be cleared before you can no, go back there. No, 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 no. I don't pick up other people's karma. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the problem with Luke. He's too tired. He's got too much karma uh, for you to step in. Um, well, I wouldn't want to step in. I've, I've actually stepped in. I, that's how I know him so well, is that I went to Tombstone. And thank God I had an American, uh, American Indian from uh, Arkansas that believed in reincarnation. And I started getting these really weird, like all of a sudden I'd, I'd zone out and I'd like, whoa, you don't know where I've just been. And she'd go, oh, you must have lived here before. You're just remembering a past life, you know? And so we walked through, but I kept walking into his essence, as it were. Like at one point, I'm just walking down the street. Now, Tombstone, it still looks like it did back in the 1870s. So I'm just walking down the street, and all of a sudden, I'm like in a gunfight, looking at some dead guy that I just shot. And I went, oh, my God, he shot somebody, killed somebody right here in the street. And um, the other girl that was with us said, well, you wrote, read the sign. I said, what sign? And there was a sign that said Luke Short killed um, Charlie Smith on such and such a date. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, so, so, but I, one time I, w I went through the, um, uh, it's called the Oriental Cafe and we were having, you know, lunch or something up in the restaurant area and I went back into the bathroom and by the time I got there um, and looked in the mirror, I was looking at a man's face and yeah. for, you know, and he, and he's checking himself out, you know, and doing this thing. And all of a sudden I came back going, holy shit. <laughs> What's this about? <laughs> you know, so, um, I, I really did. I really do have, uh, an affinity for who he was and for, for, for how screwed up he was in many ways. So it, I don't know. I, I expect that at some point something else will trigger the memory or, allow me to access the memory of whoever it really was that that saw what was there um but the synchronicity and the weirdness of the whole story just made me go like 
oh yeah, I uh, cannot. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. You know. <laughs> well, this is really interesting because um, apparently I had a cowboy life at some point, um, and uh, I was part of some posse, and I was shot in the back um, or in, on, in the in the shoulder, um, and it twisted. You know, if, if you shoot somebody in the shoulder on the, on on a horse, their spinal twist round. And I've still got this twist in my back. Just oh. that, that kind of has, it's like a tendency to go into a, a certain kind of backache. Now, and today I've had this backache. This is the backache that I've had today. So it's yeah. really interesting that we're talking about this. Now, um, yeah. apparently, no, it wasn't Nancy who killed me in that lifetime. Uh, but it was, no. and an, it was somebody that we know. <laughs> in in our sort of radio group, uh, which is all very interesting, because uh, we're all you know this is obviously soul group business, yeah. You know, and we're here to work out those bits of karma that make it difficult for us to fit into our new selves, so that we can we can you know um, grind them off and and make it smoother. So, you know, um, so it's it's just a very interesting story and you know i often cause i think i was killed quite young as well so I, I didn't have a chance to kind of expand into my my wisdom phase <laughs> so i was just my asshole phase well i actually went um to i, I was i had been at tombstone with the native american and had just this amazing extraordinary experience i went back 2 weeks later and with me was um uh an air force colonel full colonel who had retired medically from the Air Force. He is was the military representative that walked across the bridge to get Gary Powers, the U-2 pilot, when they did the exchange uh-huh. in Russia. Very, very, you know, together person. And we're sitting, we were with his wife and uh, another girl, and they went off doing shopping or something, but we went, we went to get a beer. And I'm sitting there, and drinking this, you know, they give you these little beers. So we'd gone through a few of them. And he looks at me and he said, I want to apologize. And I said, apologize for what? And he said, it was an unfair gunfight. And I nearly fell off the chair. I went, oh, my God. He said, you remember? And he said, yes. And what had happened is that the time before that, when I had gotten into the, it, it, it was a courthouse, okay, in Tombstone. And it was still maintained, really nice building, still maintained there. And they had a plexiglass display, and it was all about the life of, um, oh, my God, I can't remember his name, Heath. Um, oh, wow. She can't remember. It's in the book. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this guy by the name of John, John Heath, okay? And... I walk up to it, and the next thing I know, this Native American is shaking me. And she's going, get out of it, get out of it. And I'm like, what? And she said, where the hell were you? Mm. And I said, oh, I said, I I don't know. It has to do with whatever I was looking at. And what had (laughs) happened is that when I started looking at John Heath, it threw me, it was another impact point, it threw me back into Luke's life. And the fact that John Heath was a farmer. He was one of the, um, uh, Clanton gang, 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 all right? And a farmer. And you've got Luke Short and you've got the Earps. And Luke Short was really the, the boss of the Earps, <clears throat> but they were all really nasty people. They had taken over this town. So the farmers 
were in comp, in conflict, in real intense conflict. And John Heath decided that if he killed Luke Short, then you would have killed the head of the problem, right? So Short's in the Oriental mm-hmm. Cafe. Heath walks in, and Short was absolutely stinking drunk. And <laughs> Heath, the young kid, I mean, he was only a kid. I think he was 17, 18 years old. He was a kid. Walks in and called out Short. Now, Short only sort of in his fog hears his name, and when he turned... His gun hand dropped to his, to his side. So to John Heath, he thought that Luke Short was about to go for his gun. And he shot him, hit him right in the belly, fell off the dang stool on the ground. And all I can remember was being extraordinarily embarrassed. Hmm. You know, he was so embarrassed that, that he was in this state, you know. So now, you know, flash forward. A hundred years, and this guy is saying to me it was an unfair gunfight, and I said, "Whoa!" I said, "Okay, all right," because I've got all this memory from what happened the last time I was in Tombstone. So I um, I said to him, "Well, what happened after after you left?" Because Heath had to leave the area; he went to Mexico, and he proceeds to tell me John Heath's life. Hmm. Now he had never. He, I said, "Do you know the name John Heath?" He said, "No." But he proceeded to, to tell me exactly what I had seen in this plexiglass display because Heath went down there and a few years later he came back with basically a gang of outlaws and the outlaws robbed the Bisbee Bank. But Heath was not a part of it. But the townspeople were so upset when he had an alibi that they lynched him anyway. Okay? Now, the, Robbie says to me, he says, and, and they went and lynched me. And he said he went. They went and lynched me by on a telephone pole, and I said it wasn't a telephone pole; it was a telegraph pole. And he went, "Oh yeah, I guess it was." <laughs> so, you know, I've actually talked to somebody that killed me in a past lifetime. We're good friends. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that happens, you know, because there are friends of mine that um, certainly that's happened, <laughs> so, and and perhaps. <laughs> You know, perhaps this whole, what appears to be a radio show, what appears to be a radio station, yeah. is in fact an enormous karmic healing device yeah. that allows us I... to say, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Well, I, you know, everybody's been programmed, you see, and uh, everybody's been implanted and programmed and we're all messing each other up and it's not. Anything that we're doing kind of deliberately, we're, we're jumping to conclusions because these programs jump, put, com, put these conclusions in our ears and then we believe it and then we act on it and then we do stupid things or the action of that is stupid things. Mm-hmm. And, and it is all because we literally have taken leave of our senses. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, I took that's a whole bunch thought. of notes. Are you for my weird spin that I spun out? <laughs> That's a good one, JP. I think you're right. When when you both were talking, when JP said what his guy said, then when Nancy told her story, my head started to like do this spin thing. <laughs> and now I'm back here, but I wrote, wrote all these notes down while I was listening. And I don't know if this will make any sense to anyone. But first of 
well, um, James Gilliland's near Matt Adams, and that's an entrance, supposedly. And then you said in Joan Ocean's thing, which I'd like to see where some other entrances to inner earth are. And there's an Arkansas connection here that's been coming up big time lately. Two of my close girlfriends are, and I are seriously being pulled there right now. I've been through Tombstone, and my mom wanted me to move to Bisbee, which I don't even know why. And then while you were talking, I got this flash because I had read something where a lot of walk-ins are happening now, what's called walk-ins because of the shift. So it's not even like a death experience like we used to have where another soul would embody. It can even happen in your sleep. And then it ties into the time travel thing with the way what JP showed which really got me excited when I saw that thing he has and then what pulls it further is when and they're talking about the Mandela effect huh, they uh, someone said on one of the shows about it that they wanted to do a research on how many people that are actually noticing the physical reality shifting which I had a big dream about that the other day that how how many of these people have had near-death experiences or really bad illnesses? Because they felt there was a connection. So it's the shift in energy and the higher soul or the higher aspect of the self coming in and why you have new elements and new talents, which is what JP talked about in his channeling. And the other day when I woke up, it was one of those dreams that's not a dream thing. And I saw life as just this mirage and this wave. And that why everybody's really nervous and upset and a little fearful right now is because nothing solid, which it never has been, but it seemed to be, and we're shifting in that wave, which could be the, that center of that toroidal, and we're looking, nothing, we can't put our hands on it. It's moving as we're putting our hands on it, but we're not to be afraid of it. We're supposed to let go and go with it. But it's not what we're used to so it's scaring a lot of people okay i'm gonna stop don't know if any of that made sense go <laughs> awesome now listen it's the top of the hour um <laughs> and uh i think we should get back <laughs> i just thought that was the most appropriate tune to play getting back to tucson arizona or tombstone arizona yeah we probably all live there <laughs> It sounds like we, you know, it sounds like we've all got the, um, some kind of connection with it, yeah. Somebody asked me if, if, you know, I, I thought I'd had some predestined, uh, meeting with somebody else and I said, well, yeah, I do, but I think that we're all so connected in so many bizarre ways. I mean, one of the, one of the things that, um, in cosmic reality, the cosmic reality rules is that there's an infinite number of souls. And I don't even know why I came to the conclusion that that that's a truth, a rule, but I've never seen anything that made me question it. And as we get farther along, it's almost like, you know, if there's, if there's simultaneous incarnation, and I do believe that there is, it could be that we we're, we're surrounded with, with aspects of maybe only two souls or spirits, you know, the female and the male. And it's this dance. I mean, because incarnation, people think, well, well, somebody 
somebody dies, then they are reborn. If they die, and they're reborn. Well, it's not necessarily that because time doesn't exist. It's a relationship of place and space. So you could have multitudinous personalities in the same basic time frame, but they're not in the same place because of their physical bodies. Their physical body is separated. It's a different place. And I swear I've sometimes come in contact with people that I thought might be aspects of myself because of the energy. It felt like me. You know? So I don't know. I mean, it, it's... don't know if I'll have the answer for a while. <laughs> I, I wonder sometimes if I found somebody who was just like me that I'd be completely annoyed by them. I was. <laughs> I have been too. <laughs> You know, because I tell you why, and there's a, there's a you know, um, Shari Edwards has spoken about this before. Uh, our sound healer, who we'll have on the next show, um, is that you know your children they grow up and uh, eventually during their teenage period they have basically soaked up, absorbed enough of your frequency that they're starting to emit your frequency as well. And that what's that is what makes them unbearable because they've got enough of your frequency. They don't need any more. There's no reception. And so it just now starts cooking up the pressure cu- pressure cooker. So that's why you, your teenagers have to leave Maybe home. Maybe that's a good thing, though, to, to face our shadow in that mirror. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Nancy, back to your show. <laughs> you can have your show. Well, <laughs> you, you know, basically, I, I don't know where to go from here because when we we talk about so many different subjects and it opens up so many different doors. I, I mean, yeah. Okay, so, so let's like, talk about doors. Let's, okay, let's just go there. Stay there. Yeah. You know, let's not 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 prevaricate too much because one of the reasons. <laughs> that our group has had to incarnate is what? You know, we've, we've, we've spoken about incarnating in Atlantis. We've spoken about incarnating in Egypt um, and uh, various other places. But there's what the heck is going on in Tombstone? Why, why is there this focus on Tombstone? And I think you've actually nailed it here. And it's the door that you've been talking about is that that is part of you know, perhaps uh, whoever's there in Arizona, who do we know in Arizona? Tolek is in Arizona. Um, uh, uh, who's that other guy? Mark Kimmel, uh, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, Arizona has been, you know, there's there's a big New Age community there, isn't there? It's, that's well, you know, that's it, got to be pretty close <laughs> to that gateway. So, Nancy. Well, yeah, but the weird thing is, Jay, is that I know where it is. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because when I was stationed, let's, go. Oh, let's have a field trip for <laughs> Wolf Spirit Radio. Let's all meet in Tucson. Nancy could show us where the, the door. I is. mean, if they haven't, if they haven't overdeveloped the area, but um, oh. we, we went into we went into an area that was um, uh, they had set up picnic tables and fireplaces, and we were having some kind of a I don't know a group party out there, right? And for some reason. Somebody said, let's go see what's up the road. And it was not a, it was a dirt path more than a road. I mean, you could get a, we had a Jeep and it was, you know, but I mean, it wasn't exactly a road. And so myself and I believe two other people got into the vehicle with him 
and he starts driving, and of course you're going very slow because, like I say, it's hardly a road. And I don't really know how far up we went, but all of a sudden I see this ravine, and everything in me went, Wah! I think we better go back now. I think we better go back. And, you know, when when I had the memory, I realized that that was the ravine. What was the you ravine? Know, so, the ravine where, where the Native American had taken us and then opened the door. So it's it's definitely in the Huachuca Mountains. Okay. So um, how about a field trip then? Yeah. A, a wolf spirit field trip. And uh, Nancy can lead us through the gateway and we can meet the inner earth people and boom, that's that's why we're here. What we've probably got now is probably Sierra Vista has got a city there. You know, there's probably skyscrapers or something right there now. But, um, yeah, we 30 years ago, I'm going to take feed, like that. radio show from there, do a live feed until we disappear into inner earth. <laughs> hey, for all we know, this is exactly what they wanted to do, right? <laughs> no? They got somebody that, that, that knows where it's at. I mean, I would definitely recognize it. They didn't take yeah. them out. You know, you know, it's really. Find it. This is a very interesting thing. Uh, just just uh, Vanessa saying, um, maybe JP should uh, do a roll call to all the soul group together at one time. I act, this is this is actually how Wolf Spirit Radio started. That is exactly how it started because I did all these soul ray readings, and I found yeah. the ones who had the one two, and like everybody had their own radio show or they were beginning to and all this stuff, and and as people have evolved. They evolve into one twos and they move into the soul group because that's the nature of soul. Is that the, when you get to the point of being able to be unconditionally loving, then you move into the soul group. Um, if, if you're possessive or jealous in any way, you can't, you, you won't make it. That's, this is the ascension, people. This is exactly the ascension. If you're attached to those three dimensional senses of ownership, which is all in empire, imperial. Um, and therefore Roman and Babylonian and all that stuff. So all, we have to let go of all our imperialism. We have to let go of our inner dictator, our inner empire, our inner emperor, and start allowing everybody to be who they are because they're just marvelous. Just, just let them go. I mean, look, look at it. Look at, look what happens when you stop hurting people and you just let them grow. You know, they'll start making gardens and. And uh, growing food, okay. and, you know, looking after themselves and each other, and and you know, it's great. Just stop hurting everybody, and everything's fine. Aww. So anyway, <laughs> that's that's what, 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 that's how it worked for me. Okay, how does how does the one two ray? How would you define the person that is in that ray? Um, well, you can't define a person who's a one two, but oh, you well. would you would notice certain characteristics. One of them. Um, the, the first ray monad is, is the initiator. So anybody who started something, like a, a, a company or an enterprise, and keeps it focused and, uh, rides it, you know, um, and it, it expands and it's organic and it's a life form of its own, that's an initiate. That's what the, that's what you initiate. So Cosmic Reality, for instance, is now a huge website. A few years ago, you didn't even know how to touch a web web page, did you? So, therefore, <laughs> that's what makes you an initiate, Nancy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's that's the first ray monad. That's being that's your spirit actually uh, coming into the ground, coming through your body, and manifesting what it wants to do. By the way, you know, cosmic reality is not Nancy's idea; it's Nancy's higher self's idea. 
and um, that it's manifesting that. And so you manifest your universe, right? And so everybody's got their universe. Uh, and in the same way um, that when I gathered this, this group, I called it the old one too, right? Because there's a first ray <laughs> monad, second ray soul. And for instance, on this very call, we have uh, Debrielle with uh, one, two monad uh, soul and uh, personality ray four. Nancy with personality ray five and myself with personality ray three. So here we are. We're three, four, five. We're the, uh, the, um, the square root of the hypotenuse, uh, or as they say, the square root of the hippop- hippopotamus is the sum of the scores on the other two hides. There's, there's a whole joke that builds up to that, but I didn't want to bother. So anyway. So yeah, so the uh, the first the first see humans generally have first ray a uh, second ray monad in general um, uh, people who are like following and listening and learning and and studenty and and getting into that they will have the second ray monad um, people who are um, down and out trying to pull the other way will have a third ray monad and these are the what we call the powers that were um, or the reptilian influence or whatever. Um, so that's the, in a way, the third ray monad is, is that's the, that's the one third. You know, they say the one third of the angels fell. So the, the ray one are the, are the higher angels. The ray two are the human angels and the ray, t, ray three are the, uh, the darker angels, let's say. And the third that fell away, that's ray three. So and that's in the monad. That's in the monad, that's yeah. So yeah. people with Ray 3 monads yeah. are uh, uh, incredibly manipulative. Um, there's always something going on, and you get the funny feeling about them because hmm. your spirit and their spirit has a, a heterogeneity. There's a, there's a there's a resonance that is like or dissonance, let's say. So, uh, and you know, all the people that you look on TV, you know, you can like, yeah, yeah, Clintons. They're all th- um, three, um, and they're. Um, they'll have a, a soul ray of maybe six. Um, very rarely do you have a three-two, like a ray three monad with a second ray soul. That's someone trying very hard to get out of the dark lodge. Um, you know, and it takes lifetimes. If you're deeply embedded, it takes a lot of work. And there are a very, very few number of people, of beings, who are going to make it through this um process that we're moving through this crossing and uh the the very 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 few of the ray three monads are going to make it um uh, and mm. and uh yeah again my guides have said something about that but this is a very special class and they're going to have to try very hard because they're going to be alien they're going to feel alien to people and it's going to be very hard for people to accept them as brothers or sisters so um, so there's going to be a, a lot of accommodation on both sides for the for the people who remain after the big process, you know, because there will be and there'll be there'll be people who tried very hard and are, are very good and, you know, want to be good. And there are a few. That's what, you know, everybody's saying, you know, that not every, not every reptilian is a bad one. Not every Nordic is bad. But, uh, you know, that's that's the whole thing. So anyway, the one two group are here to, as the balance, you know, to keep, to keep an eye on the, the Ray 3 group because the 1, 2, they're like, um, you know, uh, aspects of the source. People indeed who have, uh, spent so much time in, uh, study and, um, 
and uh, meditation that they merge with the source. You know, they let go of their own personal issues and allow the source to take over. So really, um, people don't have essentially an individual first-ray monad because at the end of the day, there is only one, and it is the source. So essentially, you... As, as you progress through the initiations and you become more and more spiritual and you let go of things like jealousy, um, <laughs> how much can I overemphasize this? You have to let go of things like jealousy and ownership uh, and all these imperial, uh, and I mean imperial by it, like you're the emperor, you own things, and you're the main all that stuff. Control, all that stuff, all has to go. Because in <laughs> in the seventh ray, as uh, as uh, Rodan said the other day, the seventh ray has started. In the seventh ray, there is no such thing. Everybody's equal. Everybody's a network. You know, everybody's got their own universe. Everybody's just as amazing as you are. You see, and everybody recognizes that. And it's not like everybody's like, oh, we're all equal. That means nobody gets anything. No, we're all equal, and we get everything. Everybody's entitled to everything. Everybody is infinite on the inside. Everybody can do whatever they want to do. But some people are, have, an, have doubts, and those are the doubts that are created by their karma, by their, uh, by their attachment to those things like ownership and jealousy. So, end of speech. Does that make any sense to you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... I... My, my first, my feeling is, is that when we trans, completely transform, cause we're in the process of transforming into the new earth. That's why we're getting Mandela effects. That's why people are absolutely remembering things that they, they're going like, uh, what's that about? But they're remembering it and they're starting to take the pieces. It's almost like the veil is falling away. So you see people who, really didn't seem to have any inkling to wake up, suddenly start waking up and saying some amazingly profound things, and the next time you see them, they're back in the dark again. <laughs> you know, it's like, what yeah, happened to it's you? Patchy. you know? It's patchy. It's patchy. Oh, it is. We have to deal with, uh, you know, for every um, for every release, there's another seven tests of the next thing, you know. There's, there's, there's never a time, you know, you only get like a couple of days rest and that, you know, and that nice good feeling before you have to move on to the next bit of process. <laughs> That's the truth. And the two raise the unconditional love, right? The, in the personality, if it's a one, yes. two? Yes, yes. The, the two in the soul uh, is, right. is the kind of um, vanilla-flavored soul, as it were. Um, <laughs> this was, you know, the nature of soul is love. I know I sound like Barry White, but it's true. <laughs> Um, the nature of soul is love. So the, the, the loving nature of yourself is your soul energy. And some people ha have um, the, the ray six uh, soul ray. And this is the, you know, the whole, right, okay. When we talk about um, the Aquarian age and the Piscean age and all this stuff, it is basically the soul ray that is, is manifest in general at the time. So people here... Uh, are moving from the seventh, from the, sorry, sorry again, are moving from the sixth ray, that's the Piscean age, to the seventh ray, which is the Aquarian age. 
Um, and there are a large number of people who are going through the milling process because we should not be ha- we sh- there should be nobody with a sixth ray soul, to be honest, right now left. Anybody who's, who's currently got sixth ray soul energy is really you know uh, in the the cramming phase of working out their karma. They've really left it you know really way too late. Uh, so it's going to be a really rough ride for those sixth ray souls who have not had the um, the the message, all right? Because what happens is they're gonna get ill. They're gonna get well sick, really sick. Wow. And um, often it's you know you know uh, in the guts that sort of sick kind of thing as well. Um, and you know diseases of the stomach and all of the stuff as it as it comes out as these because the 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 evolutionary ray the the new seventh ray is coming on and it's pushing out all the sixth ray. So it's, it's squeezing it all out. Um, and uh, that's why, you know, there's a lot of sixth ray activity. Now, what is sixth ray activity? <sighs> Anger, jealousy, <laughs> bloodshed, hatred. The, you know, um, the only time a sixth ray uh, is satisfied is when there's blood spilt. You know, and this is the whole, you know, blood rituals and all this stuff. They need to feel the blood come out. You know, it's that. <clears throat> that's so the, that's energetically on the planet right now to go to that seven correct that's why we're correct that's why it's not lasting that's why it's not going to last that's why it all seems to be like oh god look at that terrible thing oh and here's the news and uh here's tom with the weather and oh look there's another terrible thing you know things are exploding people are exploding i mean i certainly (laughs) posted on facebook this is one of the ets from uh from uh, Star Trek, and it's, it's the guy with a—he looks like Nicolas Cage actually, and he's got these pulsing veins on his head. And really, I really felt like that Nicolas Cage about to lose it, you know. And if anybody uh, wants to know what Nicolas Cage losing it looks like, just just go to YouTube and type <laughs> Nicolas Cage loses it. People have made compilations of all the films that Nicolas Cage has been in, because every time he, he he goes through the lose it process, and it's it's fascinating to watch the things all arrayed in one place. Anyhow, so um, with the rays, so the one two group, uh, these are as I said, we. <laughs> We know we've been here before. We know we've got a job to do. Most of the time, until we've completely woken up, and sometimes before we've woken up, we have these other rays because the rays get thrown on us, you know, through the family upbringing. So we, we're we kind of un- undercover in a, in a strange way. And most of the time, people wake up, they have a, ter- a, ter- a ter- terrible time. You know, the waking up process is usually something like a near-death experience. You know, you're mangled to pieces and you you, know, you, you turn from mincemeat back into a person, you know. And that, again, guess what? That's part of the process, you know. Every initiation yeah. actually is a breaking down of what you were, a total losing of your previous personality. You may go bankrupt. You may lose your business. You may lose your wife and children or your husband and children. You may find yourself out on the street. These are all examples of the same thing that Jesus goes through. It's the, it's the, the same process and it's a stripping away of the ego. That which you think you are because of the things that you have and not the things that you are. That's the outer personality. And that's why 
the you know the second ray monad, the seventh ray soul, the sixth ray personality. That's the what I call the outer temple. Is that these are all the people who are in the process of waking up, and uh, eventually, when when they do wake up to the angel that they are, then they take on the one two mantle. Hmm. Does that make all sense? Does that yeah. tie up all the questions on, on you know what the one two is about? Nancy, no, it, it it's um, it would just. It makes you think about so many things. My mind's going in a lot of different I, I know. Often people uh, drift away when I talk. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm thinking about those. But, uh, you know, so, so let's go back, Nancy. Let's go back because... <laughs> <laughs> let's, hang on. Let's go back to Tombstone, Arizona. Because we got... This, is a, it, this whole thing, is, it's about the doorway. It's yeah. all about the doorway. Talk about the... Nancy, by the way, can you just say the first thing that comes into your mind? Did I know you in the la- in that lifetime, Tombstone? Yes, Wyatt, you did. Wyatt up. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Wyatt up. Sorry, that's what popped out. So well. I, I, I got no reason to dispute it. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> I've heard of Wyatt <laughs> up. <laughs> well, um... That's, <laughs> He was quite a violent fellow, wasn't he? He was a. Uh, oh, they 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 were, you know. Um, I guess when you look at the processing, you know, I mean, it's like I, I'm thinking about my life as you were talking about that, and I really haven't had any of those things. But then again, I have a kind of a weird life. I I've been single all my life, been alone, but basically, I came from a family of ten, so I haven't latched on. And in ten, you always are sharing. You know, I mean, it was a specific way of not having an ego or uh, the necessity to feel that I was never secure. You know, I mean, I always felt I, I always had that stuff with me. So I never had to be tested by disease or, you know, breakups or any of that. You know, children that hate you, none of that. <laughs> so um, in that way, my life has been, you know, um, easy, a lot easier than a lot of people. But. It started me going back and thinking about, you know, the different incarnations I've had and the different energies that you're holding in those incarnations. And Short was the one that you get a sexual killing, sexual kick out of killing. I mean, this guy was perverse. And yet I can honestly say that I believe that my higher self, soul, spirit, whatever it is, had that guy out there for a reason. You know, what, what is it that you're supposed to teach me? Well, you're teaching me that I sure don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, and, but I must have worked out a lot of that, what you're talking about, the sixth ray in his lifetime. You know, um, no, they were nasty little bastards, all of them. Now, if you look at, if you go back and you research Luke Short, you will see that he had a timeline that is, congruent with the timeline most of us are on or the reality that he actually did not die in the saloon he actually went on and and lived after that you know had died in the 1900s sometime so you know it's it's like again it's the mandela thing you know that you've got every single version of everybody behind you you can pick and choose what it is that that you want to kind of grab onto or you need to grab onto as your own history. Because the farther I get down this road, the more I know it's all storytelling. 
You know, it's like, oh, I think I like that story. Okay, I'll, I'll incorporate that. Now, what does that do to me? You know, so people that keep going back and trying to understand the past, I honor them, but I don't want to go back there anymore. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm just very... reading. Hang on a second. I'm just reading about Wyatt Earp, right? <clears throat> oh, okay. All right. Now, when I read this name, I got a shiver down my spine. Wyatt Berry Stapp Earp. <laughs> That's a weird name to start with. Was an American Old West gambler, a deputy sheriff in Pima County, and deputy town marshal in Tombstone, Arizona Territory, who took part in the gunfight at the OK Corral, during which lawmen three killed, uh, which lawmen killed killed three outlaw cow killed three outlaw cowboys. So, I was the policeman, <laughs> and uh, who were the outlaw cowboys? Was 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 uh, were you one of them? It was, the, Mc it was the McCorys. Um, yeah. Well, no. Or were you were you alongside me, or were you against no, me? No, 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 no. The reason, see, see, John Heath was part of the McCory farmers. They weren't outlaws; they were farmers. Then the city had been taken over. These bad outlaws, Earp and Luke Short, and the rest of them, because. Um, Wyatt's two brothers were, were with him there, too, and Doc Holliday. And that gang was really a negative gang. They were doing terrible things. So um, John Heath decides to kill Luke Short, who appears to be the head of this thing, in the hopes that it would all stop. The gunfight at OK Corral was the Earp's way of getting revenge for the killing of Short. Okay, because oh, they they basically ambushed the farmers. So Short was on on the side of the law. Short was Short was dead by that time. All right, <laughs> but he was he was being he, he was being avenged. He was be, his death was being avenged, and they couldn't oh. get John Heath because he had left for Mexico. So they went after his uh, his gang, his cohorts, his the farmers. They were just farmers, for God's sakes going up against those people that know how to use guns. It was a, it was a, I've been there. I stood there in that place that, Casey, that it happened. You're holding your sheriff's badge up too right now, did you know? Say again? He's holding his sheriff's badge up, this car. <laughs> <laughs> look at my, look at my picture. Oh, 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 my God. That's so weird. And I looked up on one. Did he, did he like, realize oh he was doing that? No, no. Here, see, see here's the thing. I had this piece of spiral. Uh, I had a piece of copper spiral. And uh, I have a, um, it's a, uh, it's a little Merkabah pendulum thing. And it's, it's, it's suspended on a lamp that I can, and I held it in front of the camera. And I just held the, uh, the spiral in my hand just behind it. So it's just like a matter of perspective. It's not actually a single thing. Um, and uh, But what it looks like is a Star of David with this spiral spiring out of it. And uh, that kind of looks a little like a sheriff's badge in some weird way, doesn't it? It looks like some sort of lawman kind of thing. For the, for the listeners, we're li looking at his Skype picture. It's been up all this time, but Deb just realized that what he's holding up looks very much like a, a sheriff's badge. You know, so that's what we're talking about. Um, again, synchronicity. But no, that so that so I mean, yeah, uh, that's interesting because I mean, I didn't think before you asked me. That was just my my. Uh, you know, I kind of get out of the way of whatever's coming through my mouth, and it surprised <laughs> me when I said that. So um, good to see you, Wyatt. 
<laughs> Good to be back. <laughs> Yeehaw. So, um, now this is very interesting. Oh my God, Debbie Doc, Doc Holiday. <laughs> we got Doc Holiday with us, Wyatt. Ah, I was just thinking. I went Doc, so I did. That's funny. <laughs> You know what we got to do? We got to get together and we got to put some really rocky bourbon in, front of, bourbon in front of us and play cards. Let's play poker. Oh, no, no. Let's play strip poker and make it even more interesting. <laughs> Can't believe I just said that. Anyway, mate, this is the ODD Collective and uh, we are ODD today. Uh, we're, we're beyond it, beyond the, on, on the oddness. Uh, it all makes sense to me, though. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I mean, well, if well, people well. would, if people would just um, relax. Who knew with their own... we were going here? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, I told you we'd go someplace. You did. <laughs> if people would just relax with the knowledge that they've actually got in in them. Right. You know, I'm. I can't tell you how many of my friends that all of a sudden I'll like realize, you know, see a scene. It's like a deja vu thing, um, you know, and you know them from a past lifetime. And, you know, I don't even bother talking to people about it because they, they look at you like you're nuts. But when you have that kind of um, sort of thing that happened to me all my life, you know, like I'd look at I'd meet somebody or even somebody that I knew for a long time. And I just look at them a little differently or something. And I would like, you know, be in a different place in a different time. And it would just be momentary. But. If you start to realize that you're so connected in so many ways, it does give your life a feeling of, of purpose and mission. It's, it, none of us are alone. It, it's, a, it's a grand and complicated orchestration of interweaving lives and, and experiences. And that's all Source really wants is to experience life. Yep. So when the peace, yeah. <clears throat> yep. Wow. So, uh, are you going to look up Doc Holiday now, Deb? Yeah. Well, this I, is the I'm... funny thing because when I looked at uh, the, uh, when I looked up Wyatt Up, um, mm-hmm. and said, hey, yes, there's Wyatt Up and, uh, best friends with Doc Holiday. <laughs> That's why we like each other, JP. Yeah. I like Nancy right away too when I met you guys all on the first show. <laughs> and Colleen. Okay. I wonder who Colleen was. Wyatt uh, was friends with Doc Holliday and was one of the gunfighters at the gunfight at the OK Corral. I'm going to have to watch a load of films now. <laughs> Twelve things you might not know about Wyatt Earp. <laughs> well, you know, when I was a kid, they had the gunfight at OK Corral, the movie. Yeah. And I, I remember my aunt, uh, Peg, and, and, and they took us to the drive-in and showed us that movie. And, I mean, I don't... I, all I can remember doing is being absolutely enthralled with this story, you know, like, like a, beyond being a kid, because I was a kid, I was probably eight years old, you know, it was just like, oh my God, you know, just couldn't get enough of this story. So, um, it didn't kind of surprise me when I ended up realizing that, um, you know, this is another weird thing about the Mandela thing. Um, when I was in Tucson the first time and I got you know, completely out of body with the, with the story of John Heath. 
we were leaving. <clears throat> I mean, I, I mean, I can't tell, I, I don't know how much of me was really in that first visit because there, at one point I went to walk through a door that was locked and apparently he had walked through it many times and he was such a bastard. He kicked the door like he's going to open it, you know? And of course I, I wasn't strong enough to kick the door hurt like hell, you know, but when we were leaving, I was, I was totally exhausted. Felt like I'd been on a, roller coaster couldn't you know couldn't get off this roller coaster and as we're driving out of town they see the uh boot hill boot hill the famous boot hill so we have to oh. go in there now the famous boot hill is just a very 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 tiny cemetery that is got mostly like uh well you know stone tombstones and but small you know, and, and, and there's a little building there and it, you have to pay to go see it, that sort of thing. So they want to stop there. And I'm like, like I said, I was, I was just like blown away and I'm kind of like stumbling through. And all of a sudden I got this really creepy feeling, you know, goose pimple shit. And I turned around and I looked and I'm standing at the foot of a grave and the tombstone says that Luke Short killed Charlie Smith. And it's right there. It's Charlie Smith's grave. And so I take a picture of it. Now, I've looked at that. Oh, this is the other thing. Um, I had a Polaroid camera with me. This is when, this is the old times. I had a Polaroid camera with me. There was still film in that, that camera, but the only picture that came out was that particular tombstone. And it's great. It's got the sun kind of setting behind it. It's a great picture. So over the years, I've looked at that picture innumerable times. Now, remember I told you in the beginning that John Heath, the guy that actually killed Luke Short, had apologized to me in this lifetime because somehow or another he remembered. So I'm doing the book Cosmic Reality, 2013. And I go, I'm on this section where I'm talking about all this and I said, Oh, I gotta go find those pictures. <clears throat> now, one of the pictures is a gun, uh, a picture of a gun. And that was another weird story. Um, 1981, I had to go back to Wachuca. I'd been there in 73. I had to go back to Wachuca to do a class in the army. And while we were there, some of us got together and we went over to Tucson. And to the Tucson um, Cowboy Museum <clears throat> at the University of Tucson. So I'm walking, th- you know, there's only so many cowboy museums you can see in a lifetime. And I was about filled up. And I'm just sort of like walking around, you know, not really paying too much attention. And I come out of this, no. How did that work? I, I will leave this one room I'm in. And as I leave the room, one of these guys that I don't really know, we were just taking a class together, looked at me and he said, you're missing it. You go back in there and find it. And I went, that guy just, that's not that guy talking to me. Who the hell just talked to me? And I was like thinking about this as I walked back into the room. And I'm going like, what in the hell is this about? What am I supposed to see here? What am I supposed to know? Now, by now... I know a lot about metaphysics. I'm walking in here with some knowledge, you know. What am I missing? What am I missing? And all of a sudden, because I had asked the question, what am I missing? I realized whatever I was missing was on the other side of the room behind me. And I turned around, and it was a small room. And from where I was standing, I could see this gun. 
and it had white handles on it. And I walk up to it and I'm like, just looking at it, and it says, "This is the this gun belonged to John Heath." And I'm looking at that, and I went, "Oh my God, was that the gun he used on Luke Short?" And all of a sudden, this other guy comes in. And he says, "We're about to leave. Do you want?" He said, "What's the matter?" And I said, "Oh, you wouldn't understand this, but I think that gun might have killed a past personality of mine." He went, "I belong to the Edgar Casey Foundation." I went, "Oh no, yes, oh my God!" So he said, "There's all sorts of things here about Luke Short and John Heath," and he starts taking me around the museum. And for some reason, he has seen all this stuff that I didn't see. So the next day, he go. He's just. I mean, he is a total. He totally knows Casey. So the next day we go back to Tombstone because, of course, now I've told him the story and we're going back to Tombstone. So we had rented the car for the weekend, so that's exactly what we did. So we go back in there and we go back into the courthouse. The plexiglass display had been changed. It did not trance me out, you know, but it was also a different, uh, it had been updated. But he comes over to me and he says, come on, come on, come on, you got Come, come, run with me. So I said, all right, all right, all right. So I follow him into this room that in what it was originally made for was when the cowboys would uh, come for the court thing, they would actually take their saddles off their horses and leave them in this room. So they couldn't get stolen, I suspect. So that's what it was. It was very small. But inside that room was a table. And the table is called a faro table. Now, faro is a card game that is very similar to poker. But the odd thing about the table is that it has an indentation where the dealer would sit. You know, so halfway down, halfway lengthwise on the table, there's an indentation. So it's a very odd-looking table. And on it, it says, Luke Short dealt poker or dealt faro from this table. And this, this kid says to me, you gotta sit down, you gotta sit down, you gotta sit, I, I ain't gonna sit, and they'll go, you gotta sit down, you know? And I said, alright, 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 I'll sit down. So I sit down, and he knew so much about what it took to do these things that he just left the room. You know, because he would have anchored me in this reality. And so he leaves the room, and it didn't take but a moment before I started to smell, you know, I started developing this smell thing, psychic smell. I could smell the dust. I could smell the old stale beer. I could smell the body odor. You know, it was like, whoa, you know, and I really didn't go much beyond that. I mean, I could hear the sounds and, you know, but um, it was an introduction to, to it. It wasn't so much that I was immersed in it, you know, but I definitely, um, you know, did a little time tripping just by being in the same place or, you know, seemingly in this place and space because the table had the essence of short, you know, mm-hmm. so I could just sort of like sit into it, you know. But that was another Tombstone territory thing. <laughs> I love Tombstone. It's got oh, so much magic. Well, this is a fascinating subject. Deb, what, what do you, what do you, <laughs> so we've been rattling away. What have you been picking up while we've been talking? I, don't, I can, I know you make notes. Oh, I, well, I do, but I made a note a while back that has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. But um, I looked up uh, Doc uh, real quick. There's a lot on him. But he was a dentist, and several of the towns he's been to, I've been to in this life. And I think it's just interesting because our family, 
took a trip from Florida that all on the what do you call that the um not the east coast the gulf coast and then into texas into mexico then up through colorado california and then back across and i i think we went through a lot of ghost towns and i had a lot of you know i was just out of high school so but I, it was a long time ago but it's interesting, and I've been in some of those places. I can't remember what they were, where they were old bars, saloons, where people have been killed, and they're like museum-type things. So, and I used to like to shoot guns. We shot rifles on our farm. I wasn't that good, though. <laughs> so, it's fun. I want to go to Tucson now. When, when's our field trip? <laughs> well, an, inter an interesting continuation in the Luke short story is that okay we've got well we've got we've got this this gun okay this this white handled gun that supposedly yes. was owned by John Heath and if it was Heath's gun it's conceivable that that's the gun he used on short wow. well <clears throat> the next personality that comes along in the lineage of of incarnations is George Patton oh Okay, what what was it that makes George Patton stand out? It's the guns that he carried. Yeah, and they they're they're not pearl handled; they're ivory handled, as this one was. Wow. Okay. George went on to um, the Olympics, and oh. at the Olympics, he um, he actually came in. I think it was second or third. But at the Olympics, he had to ride a horse, shoot a gun, uh, run, swim, and there was some other thing. There was five at that time. It was like that, that big thing that they do in the Olympics, you know. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that, well, there was two things. There was two mistakes that occurred that made him lose the Olympics. One of them was the shooting. Um, he had absolutely... A perfect score except for one bullet. He claims that everybody else that was an, you know, American sympathizer that the, one of the bullets, the bullet, the missing bullet didn't miss. It went through another bullet. So there was a big thing about, you know, the fact that, that he's saying, no, it went through, I hit it. It went through another hole. Um, so he got that one mark against him on that one. <clears throat> Now, this is where it gets really weird. George also had to be had to ride a horse in competition. Okay, well, the horse that he was supposed to go to the Olympics with uh, didn't make the voyage. I don't know why, but the horse was not in Sweden, so he got permission from the Swedish uh, military police to use one of their horses. So he goes into the barn where all the horses are, and he's walking along and walking along, and all of a sudden this horse reached out his neck from the stall and bit him on the left shoulder. Oh. And he turned around and he looked at the horse and he said, let's try that horse. <laughs> now, this story I did not remember until I was told the story. And I was told the story by Jack the horse. Oh, right. Okay. Jack the horse. Okay. okay. Gene Rockefeller works with 
Jack the Horse, who identified himself as a watcher. Um, that he is there for people to um, help them, even though they may not realize the full extent of, of the horse, you know, what this horse is really all about. Mm-hmm. So one day, I'm, ta- I'm friends with Jean, um, only because of Jack. I saw somebody sent me to a site that sent me to Jack's corner. And I get there and I'm going like, oh my God, this girl is so brave to risk everything in order to say that she's in telepathic communication with her horse and the horse has got messages and I've got to tell you these messages. I found it to be an extraordinary, uh, brave thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I contacted her, uh, mainly to get the Facebook because there was supposed to be a Facebook page, but I couldn't seem to get what it was. And when I did, I said, and I've got to tell you how how courageous I think you are to have done this. And uh, Jean came back and she she said, you know, most of the time I'm I'm totally frustrated with myself because I took this path. But when then I get people like you that say, you know, you're doing the right thing, and I so much you know appreciate that. And that started us emailing back and forth. So one day she says to me, she actually calls me. She says, Jack says. Something about he was the horse that George rode uh, in the Olympics. Wow! And I said, "What are you talking about? George was never in the Olympics. I knew. Th- I thought I knew everything about George Patton, and for some reason they had blocked the Olympic thing for me. I mean, this is an important part in his life, and I never saw it before because your guides will make you blind if they don't want you to see something until it's the time. So I'm going like, "Oh my God, really?" And she says, "Yes." And I said, well, how did this happen? And she says, okay, well, he's, this is a story he's telling. And he, she tells me the story about he bit me on the arm and everything. Well, oddly enough, when I was 10 years old, the horse came up behind me and bit me in my left arm, left shoulder. Same place. Left the mark. Bled. You know? So, you know, I well, okay. Not, so, I real, <clears throat> I real, well, then we, then we find a picture of, uh, Pat and jumping over a fence on, on, on a horse that had the same energy that Jack does. Hmm. So the reason that, the reason that Jack was bringing it up is because he was still mad at Patton. Yeah. And I'm going, why is he mad at Patton? And, and Gene's saying, she, he's saying, he's saying that you were the one that lost because he came in second by a fraction of a second in the, in that, the horse riding in the Olympics, that it was you, not him, and he should have won the Olympics. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let me think about this. So I, you know, got really meditative at a point, you know, when everything was right, and I said, just bring back this whole thing to me. And so, and it, it was partially remote viewing in that I'm on the horse, I'm in Patton's body, I'm on the horse. Now, he had never read, ridden the horse prior, well, he taken him out and thought he could do it, put him through the paces, but this was, you know, a championship event. And that horse did a turn that Patton thought the horse could not do and was about to stumble, and he corrected him. And that's what Jack was so mad about. You shouldn't have corrected me. If you had not corrected me, we would have won. <laughs> you know? So... 
couple of years go by and something Jack says to me, I went, oh no, oh, oh my God. And it brought back another memory. When I was at Huachuca, there was a place where we could ride the horses. And I'd go out and I, I'd ridden quite a different horse almost every time I'd gone out. And then there, I got in there late on a Saturday and they, all the horses were out except this kind of like, big old guy you know real slow they said well he's not the type of horse you like but it's the only one we got left i said fine fine i'll take him out so i get on him and uh there was something about the horse there was something that was happening i i at the time i don't i wasn't metaphysically educated so i didn't realize the full implications of it but i just dropped the rein and i said go where you want to go boy and this horse took me up a cliff i swear it was a cliff it was a very high incline and a lot of rocks. I mean, I'm going like, this guy's out of his mind. But he goes <laughs> up the thing and he stops at the top of this high bluff and you could see everywhere, everywhere. Oh, my God, it was such a beautiful place. And I didn't acknowledge the passing of time at all. But when I came back, I'd been out for three hours. So I lost a good two hours on that bluff with him. And I realized it was Jack. And it broke my heart when I had to leave him. I never rode another horse except him, but it broke my heart to leave. But it made so much sense that they would have a watcher on that property watching the inner earth. Yeah. That was a good roundabout tie-in there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I feel so fortunate that I have these stories, whether they're true or not, they're great stories. (laughs) Yeah, they are. I know, they make good films, or radio shows, or radio plays. Um, So, uh, yeah, this, this, that's a bit, (laughs) I tell you, all all this, you were so-and-so in a past life, is, is a bit, I mean, it's been happening to me over the last couple of years, and it's still hard to integrate it all because of, like, you know, their personages. And here's another, here's another little one. All right, um, my birthday, March the eighteenth. Um, Edgar Casey's birthday, March the eighteenth. Wyatt uh-huh. Wyatt Earp's birthday, March the nineteenth. So, interesting, huh? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Somebody got the date wrong, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's uh, it's all about the degree, not the date. So, some years the degree of the sun True. might be twenty-seven degrees, but on the nineteenth instead of the eighteenth, you see. So, there you go. You see, I love, I love this stuff. I say something that I'm not even thinking about. But now we've got confirmation that at least there's a synchronicity involved in it, you know? Yeah. I, I just look about these things, we we wouldn't get there. And that's what we give people is we talk about weird things. So I <laughs> I just looked up Wyatt Earp's gun. The one the Smith and yeah. Wesson that he he used in the OK Corral. I tell you, it is beautiful. I mean <laughs> I'd never I can never say that I'd ever say that about a a weapon. Because I'm really, you know, totally not not violent at all um but this thing is it's it's got a a, a a darkwood hardwood handle it's made of like uh very chromey 
and it's got carving all over it. It's it's completely. It's like you know, uh, you know, it's tattooed. It's inked. Yes, it's like, <laughs> em, what's it called? Embossed or, or something? What do they call it? Um, okay, it's, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if the dentist hadn't been engraving into his gun. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, because he might have the tool to do that. Well, you, exactly, because I'm thinking why it wasn't the type that would have the patience or the inclination to do that, but Doc was. Yeah. You know, I tried and to picture Wyatt doing it, and, I, and, and immediately it was Doc instead of Wyatt. And I was born at the end of August, and Doc was born in the middle of August, and I always wanted to be a Leo. I just made it into Virgo, but I always felt I should have been a Leo. <laughs> Funny. Late again, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And he was married to Big Nose. What is her name? I was like, what? Doc was had a common law wife, Big Nose Kate. That's funny. Big Nose Kate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Did we dear. find Colleen? Uh, yeah. I, she's not, I don't know yet. Big Nose well, here's, here's another little thing, right? Now, earlier on today, I was laying in my bed thinking, you know, just drifting away, trying to get my back sort of back in thing. And this word, bunty, came into my head, right? Now, bunty is the name of a, a, of a comic. It's also a, a girl's name, an English girl's name. Bunty, oh, darling. It's a really uh, posh girl's name, um, you know. Uh, like the Enid Blyton five go mad in thing. One of them's called Bunty, you know. So I was thinking about this Bunty word. This bunt, 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 bunt. That's a funny word. Isn't it a funny sound? Anyway, so it, it literally drifted through my mind about six hours ago. And I'm reading here. All right. So, uh, there we go. Uh, everyone and their brother seem to have a cult six shooter of some kind. They're as common in the old west as cell phones in LA. Then you have all those fabled tales about the extremely legendary, get this, Bunt Line Special. Supposedly, Whoa. Wyatt Earp opened, owned a Bunt Line with a 12-inch barrel. It's also claimed that he shortened the barrel to 5 inches. And huh. for, um, but there's no evidence that such a firearm ever existed. It's a sort of... Um, I can tell you it did. Go ahead. I, no, I can remember. As you were talking about it, I was suddenly standing in front of him when he was sawing it down. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And, and what about the, uh, did I need a sight? Did I put a sight back on? Or did I, is this like a sawn off, <laughs> sawn off 12 inch? I, I don't know. I, no, I, I, I don't think he did have a, well, he didn't that when I saw it. He was cutting it off. Because <laughs> what he's talking about is the end of the pistol on the barrel has a sight. But he was right. cutting that off, so I don't know if he put. I don't. I don't have any recollection of him putting. Trying to put it back. Maybe. He wouldn't. Those those things you didn't need a sight for. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say he's probably a good enough shot. I mean, it's the sort. Of, now, uh, if I was going to come to a place, I'd have more than one gun because you know these things you can only have. Like the the six shooter was the as as big as you get, isn't it? That's as much as many bullets as you had. So if you had multiple six shooters, as you would if you were a, an uh, a, uh, a officer, you know, you'd have access to weapons. So you'd have multiple six shooters. So there wouldn't be just one gun. Probably, you know, we well, had a collection. Yeah, yeah. So he probably brought free with him. And Derringers. He loved Derringers. <laughs> I like that name. I like Der I like the sound of the name Derringer. I don't know why. 
Funny these but words. I, these I, words I, I, just have, I just have to say, it wasn't that it was Kate Big Nose. I don't want you to think that Colleen has a big nose. That's not what got me. <laughs> it's, it's when you were talking about Kate, I suddenly saw I an image that thing. looked like Colleen. Not, I mean, I you know. I the same thing when I saw the name in the picture. Not anything to do with the nose, but I had the same hit that that was Colleen. Yeah, but, it was real strong. <laughs> that's weird. Okay. <laughs> hey, we're at, we're at the top of the hour, and I know that you're going to put. The, you do. You two are going to go on. Um, yeah. So why don't you just let people know what's happening here, Jay? Well, we're going to have a the second intragalactic roundtable. I'm just trying to find out words that make it slightly different. Um, this today, uh, I'm going to have our very own Debrielle and Barbara Three Crow. And Shari Edwards and Linda McCallum, and we're going to see what happens. We got some. We got a lot of healing to do. You know, there's yeah. there's a vast amount of healing, and and uh, this is we 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 need to think about these things and talk about these things. So thank you so much. Well, well thank you. You two have a real fun time because it's a good <laughs> group of people, and uh, I'll be listening, and uh, I'll let you know if I see any more people from Tombstone. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, we're going to play it out with um, with uh, some Bob Marley. Uh, of course, the only song that we could possibly, possibly play in this place. Thanks, everybody. Be safe, Deb. Thanks so much for showing up. Bye.